Welcome to Conversations With. My name is Shaley Hugendorn and I live with Bipolar 2 Disorder. Sharing with others is healing both individually and collectively. Sharing our stories will educate others, bring more understanding, shed more light and smash more stigma. Our voices need to be heard. Our stories aren't over yet. This is Bipolar. Hi everyone, welcome back to This is Bipolar. I am so excited today. We have a panel set up for you to listen to. Um, before we get started, if this is your first time, I'm Shaylee Huguenor. My pronouns are she, her. I am a mom, I am a wife, I'm an elementary school substitute teacher, um, among all the other things that I like to do. And I am, I, I host this podcast and I'm a mental health advocate. And so I am so excited you're here. I have a couple housekeeping things. For some of you that follow on Apple Podcasts, could you do me a huge favor? Apple um, unsubscribed people. So if you notice that the podcast isn't coming into your inbox all the time or uplo instantly uploading, they've probably unsubscribed you. So do me a favor, go back, tap that follow or subscribe button, and then you'll get your um, the podcast come to your device every time. And that's helpful for you because you get it. It's also helpful for me because we get the po podcast out there to people that are struggling or might need it. If you follow on any other ones, also, too, feel free to tap that follow. It really, really, really helps. Um, and I also want to tell you about our subscriptions. I have started Instagram subscriptions. So this is a place you go. There's a subscribe button. If you can't find it, message me. Um, and it is, I think it's $6.99 US a month. And there is all this extra content in there. Um, we're actually going to record an extra little bit for that and there is, um, we have an exclusive besties channel where we can talk back and forth. Um, and yeah, we just creating this going deeper uh, sense of community. And it's a really beautiful thing. So I would love to see you there too. All right, let's get started. Today, we are talking all things parenting and living with bipolar disorder. So I would love to have my two amazing mamas introduce themselves. Joanna, I would love first if you could tell us just a little bit about yourself. Sure. So I'm Joanna, my pronouns are she, her. I have, um, I was diagnosed in, uh, sorry, November, 2022 with cyclothymia, uh, which is the mild form of bipolar. I think most people haven't heard of it, but it is, it's on the spectrum. Mm -hmm. Um, I have five kids. Their ages are eight, no, nine, 11, 12, 15, and 17. Mm. Um, I, I stay at home. I don't work right now. I I, uh, I homeschool them, and that's why I stayed home from work. Before that, I was in business, and I loved it. Um, but now I'm loving homeschooling, and I'm really involved in the homeschool community, uh, which keeps me alive and working with adults. Yes. That's oh, and I'm in, I'm in Surrey, British Columbia. So yeah. So she's in, right over the bridge for me. I forgot to say that I'm in Vancouver, Canada. Yes. And Molly, tell us about you. Uh, hi, I'm Molly. Pronouns are she, her. I have one kid. She's seven. Um, I wasn't diagnosed with bipolar disorder until 
Let's see, it's been almost a year. So March of 2023 is when I got my official diagnosis, bipolar 2 disorder. Um, I was also diagnosed at the same time with ADHD, anxiety, and an unspecified trauma-related disorder. So I'm kind of dealing with a whole gamut there. Um, my child is also neurodiverse. So we've kind of got a lot of factors at play. Um, I'm an attorney. I work as a public defender in Minnesota in the United States. And so that keeps me really busy between that and having my kiddo. Um, also, my daughter, um, me and her dad are not together. So I have her 50% of the time single parenting basically during that time with her. Wow. Yeah. Yeah. I'm so excited because we have such um, different experiences and and different uh, different diagnoses. So I'm really um, looking forward to just sharing. People have so many questions. And one of my one of the hardest things that I that I hear and I understand is a lot of folks are like, should I have children? Can I still have children? And I hope that after this, you can feel confident that that you can and that you can be a good parent. It is very, very, very hard, but we can do hard things, right? Mm -hmm. So I would love to get started. So it sounds like um, that both of you have been were diagnosed after you had your children, correct? Mm -hmm. Yeah, yep. same. Um, I am so curious. Do um, with both of you, do your children know you have bipolar disorder? I'd love to start Molly. I'd love to start um, with you. Do Does your child know? How do you this is the biggest question I get? Like, how do you talk about it? What language do you use? Or some people are waiting. I'd love to hear how you handle that. Yeah, so my kiddo does know, um, you know, frankly, I don't know totally that she grasps it or understands it completely, um, but she knows that I have that. We talk about mental health in my family a lot, um, partly because that was not something talked about while I was growing up. So I really want to change the conversation around it, um, and especially with her own neurodiversity. So we... We talk about it. I talk about, um, you know, when I'm feeling depressed and what that looks like and what it means. Um, the hypomania is a little more difficult to talk to her about. Um, the language around that is a little harder. I think some of the symptoms and the ways that it um, comes out is also a little bit more um, shameful as a, as a parent sometimes. And so it can be hard for me to talk to her about that. Um, but, you know, also and we'll probably talk about this later, but some of that like bipolar anger that comes out, especially yes. in my manic episodes. Um, those are things I really, I try to talk to her about. I try to explain what's going on internally and a lot about like, hey, this is what it feels like in my body. Yes. And that's why I reacted that way. Or that's why this thing happened. So. Oh, wow. Yes. I love that. That we are definitely going to talk about that because um, like you, that that's one of my, the biggest shame one right the anger yeah. especially you know we're women we're supposed to blah 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 <laughs> we're humans we're not supposed to yes I hear you on that one it took me a long time to to start talking about that but yeah Joanna do your crew of children know about your um diagnosis with cyclothemia yeah I had um, a life coach that I was using at the time. And she really encouraged me to let my kids know and not to wait years for that. So I, I did about three months after I got diagnosed, I told the kids uh, separately, and they all had a different kind of reaction. Um, I found that the kids who were more in touch with their emotions were very sympathetic, they had questions. And, and they still now 
support me kind of like they ask about it they acknowledge it but the three who are not as you know um, in touch with their own emotions they don't ever really bring it up anymore interesting yeah oh that's so interesting do any of them this is random but do any of them um use it against you i know oh so i've had oh, my gosh. daughter is like oh i think that's your like i was like setting a boundary or something she's like yeah i don't think we're gonna do that one i think that's your bipolar talking uh, i'm like <laughs> we are 100 doing this they don't <laughs> they do they do call me out on it um so they say, oh, mommy, is that your bipolar bear? Like my youngest oh, one calls it the bipolar bear kinder. inside me. Yeah. So it's not against me. It's with me. Uh, so he's, he's fantastic. He's great. He's my, my most neurodiverse one. And yeah. so he just like, like the words just come out. Yeah. Um, and then my other one, um, she, she helps to acknowledge my, my highs, so she'll like when she notices that I'm really ramped up, then then she'll step in and she'll say, mommy, are you sure you should be making all those plans today? <laughs> so I've taught them to acknowledge uh, when they see it. Um, and yeah. then, they can, yeah, they can, you know, maybe just take what I say with a grain of salt that day. Yeah, I love that because I, I just like you both i think it's so important that our that our kids know i think it helps um them understand the world around them and them i think they're they get so much more in touch with with their emotions but also they can be also you might agree our biggest teachers right mm -hmm. i've learned so much uh from my kids uh, and i just think that it just prepares them because we know like there there is a chance that they might have a um, mood disorder as well. So to just be equipped with all that knowledge, um, I think will just set them up for such a greater success because uh, of all of us on the screen, we were diagnosed late, right? Mm -hmm. I, I'm so encouraged that people are being diagnosed, you know, early 20s because um, I, I just think about it all the time. Like what it... This is one of my thought loops I get stuck in is, well, what if, what if I knew earlier, like, would things have been different? And, you know, could I have been spared all the heartache and embarrassment and all of the mm -hmm. things that's oh. maybe we can um, do that for them. But yeah, I would love to hear. So what, I guess, let's start with depression. So what symptoms um, when you're depressed or maybe you want to talk about if you have a like if you have a cycle of depression or, or how that looks in your life and what symptoms are um, the hardest to like that get in the way of being the amazing parents that you are and want to be. So I'm wondering, mm -hmm. um, Joanna, maybe we could start with you and Yours will probably, I'm very curious about because I don't, I, I, I don't experience like, like it's diff, very different. Mm -hmm. So I'd love to hear maybe yours is intertwined. Um, just however you wanted to answer that question, just how, what symptoms hold you back from being the best parent you can and what, like, what does it kind of look like in your life? Mm -hmm. So there's a couple questions there. The first one was about depression. Yeah, but then yeah. I was thinking when I asked you, I'm like, oh, but she has, do you cycle rapidly? I, yeah. What does that look like? <laughs> okay, yes. Um, usually when I wake up in the morning, I can tell. I can feel the chemistry. Um, mm -hmm. And I used to just think the world, like I was just 
I was just angry or I was down or I was excited and I, I didn't know how to manage it. Um, but now that I do, I just, I just kind of wait on it. Um, and I, I kind of flow with how my body is doing that day. So one of your questions was, how do you deal with the depression? Yeah. Like, what is like, it like? What, yeah. What's it like? And what, how does it affect your parenting? Um, yeah, the depression is the saddest part. It's, it's the, the part that makes me feel the most guilty. So when I was first, um, I, when I first learned about bipolar and I realized I might had it, might have it, I, I cried for a long time. I don't know if you were like that, Molly. It's just the realization it hit me and I was like, oh my Lord, I have been trying to parent five kids and these poor little kids have like a mom with a mental illness. And I was like, ah. And because so much of my parenting is sad or frustrated and I have no resolve. So what it will look like is I'm trying to homeschool and then I have this plan and then I will try to be carrying it out. And then one of them says, oh, do we have to do that? And I'll, and then inside I'll be like, see, you're a bad teacher. That was a bad lesson plan. You should just quit. And then I'll say, no, it's okay. Just go play. And then I'll go cry for like an hour in my room. And that's the end of my homeschool day. Like it didn't last any more than five minutes. And then I'll do that over and over. And that could go on for months. Mm. So I just, I feel so bad for my kids. Like my depression is, is... I get triggered so easily. I'm in conversation with with someone, an, a normal, pleasant adult. I'll get triggered and then go home and, you know, brood about it. You guys know, <laughs> brood about it <laughs> for days or for weeks. And that's not helpful for my kids because there's nothing creative coming out of me. Yeah. There's no resolve. It's just, it's just mopey and sad. Yeah. So when yeah. you, you were talking about how you can feel it in the morning. So um, do you have, like, is there, you just feel it in your body. You can yeah. feel a sadness in your body or an agitation mm -hmm. or an excitement in your body when you wake up. And do you have any, um, like, is it always surprising or is there like more certain feelings in different seasons or just random? Yeah. I tried tracking it and it didn't, I couldn't find any okay. patterns. Man, that is tough. Yeah. 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 Wow. And um, I'm curious, when you get depressed, are you still able to um, get out of bed and do the things that, I mean, we have kids, so we have to, but what does that look like in terms of functioning? It's barely, it's functioning because, yeah, we have kids and, and uh, we have to feed them, but yeah. that's and just about all they get. <laughs> They eat all the time. Like I feel nope. like three meals a day is a pretty excessive in my personal. Opinion. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It's yeah. Um, the, the last year has been amazing. I must say um, yeah. after diagnosis, after all the strategies, I'm, I'm great. I'm fine. I can process, but yeah. pre-diagnosis, which is part of the reason why I'm excited about this podcast is just yeah. to share like post-diagnosis is way better than pre-diagnosis, right? Yeah, for people that are afraid of getting help. Yeah. 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 So in the past it was, it was bad. Yeah. So what, what would like, if someone's wondering, cause I know we know less, I know a lot of people know less about cyclothymia. Am I saying it right? Or is it thymia? Cause I like euthymia when you say euthymia. I don't know. Okay. I forgot what, what, I forgot what my psychiatrist called it. 
Yeah. Does it matter? No, we're not sciencey around here. Um, so what would you say, like if someone was wondering if that was something they were experiencing, mm-hmm. I'm curious what, um, what, what, what sh- would they be looking for? Um, like, cause the difference between that and maybe my bipolar two diagnosis would be the, the amount of times you cycle through mm. the different. Yeah. Okay. Okay. That's so yeah. interesting. I, I actually don't know. I, I I wasn't nodding like, yes, that's true. I was nodding like, oh. Yeah, yeah. I know. I'm gonna <laughs> I go know. I'm gonna go and read about it. I'm always like before podcasts, I'm like, I'm gonna do all the research. And then you're I'm like, I am not a researcher. <laughs> we actually, my daughter, when she she got a psych ed assessment, which is like to find out about learning difficulties, and it had this one thing about working memory. And I was like, my whole life, I always thought I wasn't smart because I could read an entire article or something I'm very interested and passionate about, but I can't retrieve it properly. Mm. And I learned about how some brains don't file things and things that make it easy to retrieve. And I was reading this in her psych ed and I'm like, that's me. So it made mm-hmm. me feel better. So anyways, yes, I, I am, I'm definitely going to post more on Instagram about that because I'm very, very curious. Yeah. I was so glad when you included that in the parents who could speak because I felt almost like an imposter, you know, saying that I have bipolar. I'm like, I don't have real bipolar. It's, you know, I really hesitated. Yeah. Oh, I'm so glad you did. Yeah. I think I'm seeing it more and more as a spectrum, Mm -hmm. right? As this mood disorder spectrum and where people are on it. Yeah. That's really interesting. Molly, I'd love to hear how, um, depressive episodes affect your parenting maybe what that looks like in your life like I was saying before if you have patterns yeah Um, yeah, tell us so I actually think that depression is a little bit easier for me to manage than my mania my hypomania um I think part of that is just the way that I was raised and kind of the 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 pushes that I've had in my life. I think it also interacts with my ADHD in a way sometimes that makes it easier for me to manage. Um, But usually my depressive episodes come after a hypomanic episode. I tend to have a pretty big crash. um, And a lot of times that initial crash is like one or two days where I, I don't really function very well. Yeah. Um, And so if that happens to land on a week that I have my daughter, that looks a lot like barely getting us out the door for school and work. You know, she's eating maybe leftover chicken nuggets for dinner or whatever, like just whatever. Sometimes it's, hey, go make yourself something. Um, Thankfully, she's at an age she can do that. Um, I really struggle with like, I just like cannot wait for bedtime. And then once she's in bed, I'm just part of the couch and I'm not doing anything. And, And then, you know, Obviously, the, those episodes still last past those couple of days, but again, a little easier for me to manage than my hypomania. Just I've had more experience, I think, with acknowledging depressive symptoms and and working through them. Um, so even before my bipolar diagnosis, I, I knew that I was having depressive episodes. Yeah. Um, so again, easier to work through because of that. I do also notice it more in the colder seasons with less sun. Um, I know that's really common for a lot of people, but um, so I, I kind of prepare for that, right? I've got my vitamin D on hand and I'm I'm planning things that I know, you know, make me feel better and kind of get those endorphins going that I don't always have. Um, 
keeping that routine is extremely helpful for me, especially in the winter when it's really easy to want to fall off of things. Um, so yeah, that's kind of how it plays out. Yeah. Yeah. That's yes. Yay for chicken nuggets and toast. That's what I have to say. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. I, I'm curious when, um, I know a lot of people, when they're listening, they're always wondering, you know, if they're experiencing the same thing. So I'm wondering if you could share, maybe Molly, you go first since you're talking. I'm wondering if you could share some of the thoughts or the thought loops that you get stuck in um, when you're you're depressed. I know um, I have several about parenting. (laughs) I'm curious if, if you have those and what they sound like. And maybe, maybe what you do when they when they come up that's a lot yeah, um, at once that's okay you know and I think I think Joanna kind of touched on one major one that I have is that like you know something will happen Kittle will say something that basically indicates that they don't like the thing that I'm doing or they don't want to do something and then I get into this thought loop of like well I'm a bad mom why do I even bother? Um, you know, for me, at least it's like, oh, she loves her dad more. Oh. Um, she would rather be with him than with me um, because I'm so bad. Right. <laughs> and I, you know, and I'm, you know, one of the other things is like, I'm lazy. I don't do enough, um, especially in regards to parenting. Um, you know, and I have built a really good system around me. And so I'll go to some of my sisters who also have kids and be like, hey, here's this really crappy thing that happened today. And I'm feeling really guilty. I feel like a bad mom. And they they do a really good job of reassuring me, um, pointing out some of the things that I am doing well, also reminding me that it's okay if we have days where I'm not doing great, where I'm not parenting the best that I could be. Um, and that, you know, it's more important that I and there for my kid, then I'm there perfectly for my kid. Oh, yes, that's beautiful. I know I have a friend that's really um, does a lot of research and work around like trauma and mm-hmm. um, their trauma score and, and things like that. And she was telling me and I hold on to this desperately that a good being a good parent 70% of the time is good like you know that's good good Mm -hmm. enough right not that you can be horrid the 30 percent, but i mean or abusive or anything like that that's not it just that you maybe aren't the best right and um i always joke with with my husband like i don't don't ever get me a world's greatest mom mug or anything i I, my goal i want to be the world's okayest mom just i'm that that is my goal and i can do that right um yeah oh that's that's so interesting. I, I love that. And I think that that's a really important thing to do. And I know um, that was something that I did a lot is checking in with parents that don't have bipolar disorder, because I tend to blame everything on that, right? Okay. Like I made totally. that mistake because of my mental illness da, 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 and having moms that can say, hey, I reacted the same way, or that is an actual, you know, I don't want to say normal, but that is a common um a reaction to that so i think that that's uh, that's really wise and i love that you have sisters so that it's a little bit easier to take because they can you know or having a trusted person that can tell call you out on certain things but then also reassure you that's that's really beautiful um yeah joanna how about you how um how about you what i'm trying to think how to phrase it like what do you 
think about when you're depressed? I know you mentioned mm-hmm. the one about the the homeschooling. Mm-hmm. Um, are there other things that that you think of that you have a thought loop about? Maybe yeah. if you had some before or how you've kind of worked on it now. Yeah. The, so for the for the eleven months that I suspected I had bipolar but didn't have a diagnosis. Mm-hmm. I tried something called focus therapy and you you invite the different voices into your I guess you host them in your living room of your mind mm-hmm. and and you give them attention, you ask them where they're from, how they're feeling that day and um and then you help them talk to each other. Uh so I tried that. Um and I got to know each one very well. I gave them a name. Um I actually gave them a minion character. I brought in different. I love that. <laughs> I love it. And so I spent a year really getting to know all of my inner critics. And and then I, I realized this is actually becoming very damaging. Because I'm, spend, I'm spending way too long talking to each of them. Mm. And uh, when I saw my psychiatrist, she switched me on to um, CBT. Is that okay. what it's called? Yeah. Cognitive, behavior. Cognitive behavioral therapy. Mm-hmm. And then that's where I really started to write out all the inner critic thoughts. And then that's actually how I can tell that I'm spiraling is because one of them pops up and I'm like, aha, I see I, you. Yeah. We're not going to go down that path today. And so now I can, I can kind of catch them. And a lot of it is about, yeah, the bad mom, you're not good enough. Why do you even try? But I think uh, one thing that really gets me uh is perfectionism and shame. Um, And I don't know why I have this. Maybe my upbringing might be Asian, um, but I have a real problem with people seeing my imperfections. Mm. And for a long time, you know, I was that mom at church who could handle five kids. Everybody, people would walk by me and say, there's super mom. And I had this, you know, this kind of, I don't know what the word is, but it's like I had, this image of myself and how I would be portrayed and how people saw me. And, you know, I run this event and I run this group. And so if they knew what I was like, you know, in my house. Yeah. Right. And so this is the first time actually, so I'm being really brave today to actually say, this is what happens inside my house. I'm not who I, you know, try to look like. And so just breaking that down and helping other moms, right. Like Shaley bipolar or not, yeah, just you know the okay ish yeah. or the seventy percent is is yeah. okay. So yeah, check yeah. in on the really super strong looking ones. That's yeah, you know what I mean. Because same yeah. thing, right? Because like I'm outgoing, or if you're ever hypomanic, you're pretty confident, right? Oh yeah, yeah. I'm doing everything. Yeah, I am. Right? I, am I am yeah. unstoppable. <laughs> Well, and that's when I would get the most compliments. So I would never, I just saw that that's real Shaylee, right? Yeah. Like I never saw mm-hmm. that as a problem. I never acknowledged like the anger and the anxiety and all that came with it right. because it's so much better feels inside um, than, than it did when I was, when I was depressed. Yeah. Yeah. Well, let's jump right into talking about um, hypomania mania. Um, I'd love to hear Molly, how that comes up in your life. And I'm actually curious about, okay, let's rewind. I'm doing the Shaylee four-part question again. Let's rewind. Okay, we're rewinding. First thing, I'd like to hear, so we talked about when you when you both got diagnosed, but what was the, um, you know, the final thing that got you diagnosed? Did you reach out for help yourself? 
And I'm so curious, was it a manic episode that got you the help? Mm. Or yeah, I'd love to hear about that before we talk about how mania affects our parenting. Yeah, yeah, I don't love to hear it. I don't actually know if it was like a specific episode, but I had been in therapy. And, you know, my therapist kind of brought it up. They're like, have you have you thought about bipolar disorder? And like, is that something that you've talk to anybody about I was like no but now that you mention it um there is some history in my family you know I've got like great uncles or whatever that have been diagnosed or who looking back on their lives were like oh pretty sure they had that um but nobody in my immediate family until after I got my diagnosis so my therapist and I started tracking my moods a little and based on that I decided to go do a full assessment um, between that and the suspicion of ADHD. Um, so I did that full assessment, came back with diagnoses as I like expected. Um, so it had been, you know, about a year. So kind of Joanna, you had said there was 11 months between that suspect, that suspicion. And when the diagnosis happened, it was very similar for me. Um, so that's kind of what triggered it. And, you know, during that time, again, like tracking moods and trying to see no real pattern, but definitely seeing the highs and the lows. Oh, I love that for you, that it wasn't a crisis moment, right? That yeah. it was seen, this is just the power of everyone going to therapy all the time for how, you know what I mean, <laughs> when it's accessible. Um, that's really, and it sounds like you were, you were open to, to getting the diagnosis. Was it, was that scary for you or more freeing to understand what was actually going on? It was both. Um, you know, I think I knew that there's, there's still so much stigma around bipolar disorder and there's so much misunderstanding around it still. And I had actually had a professor in college who had a severe bipolar one disorder, um, and he had been a mentor for me. And so I had seen it kind of at its most extreme with him. Um, and so, you know, but there was some part of me then that was like, well, if he can hold this position and if he can do all of this still, then it's going to be okay. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I think that's one of the main reasons what Julie, my old co-host and, and I started the podcast and also why we put out video there too, because I didn't know anyone else that lived with bipolar right. disorder. And of course, now looking back in family, it's like, Oh, they just weren't diagnosed. But um, so I was desperate and I was diagnosed in 2010. So it's been like 13 years. So I was desperate to see a face or just like all I could find online was like, um, you know, like medical things or doom and gloom Mm -hmm. or worst case scenarios or and I just got was just stopped looking into it or stopped researching it because I was like, that's not me. Like, I knew I I accepted that I had bipolar disorder, but I was like, I'm not one of like them, right? Because I didn't see anybody like me. I didn't see what a future could look like. I wondered, like, should I, you know, leave my family because they'd be better off or, you know, all those, all those thoughts. And then not to mention they're taking me off one med and putting me on another. That's that's everything. Um, But yeah, that's, that's really interesting. And so... I'm wondering, back to talking about hypomania, because you're bipolar too, so you experience hypomania. Um, mm-hmm. What does what do the symptoms look like for you? And how does that affect your parenting? 
Yeah, so I have a lot of racing thoughts and like internal chaos is kind of the way I describe it. Um, it's not always easy to pinpoint it otherwise because it really is just like a chaotic mess most of the time. Um, I tend to make a lot of plans, uh, reorganize and organize my house a whole bunch. Um, I want to like go out and do stuff. I kind of, I want to be anywhere but where I am most of the time. Yes, that's a great um, explanation. Yeah. And so the way that impacts my, my parenting is that I don't, I don't want to be with my kid. And so that can be really hard and that can create a lot of guilt in me because I'm like, well, I don't want to be home with you. I want to be again, anywhere, but here. Um, and then, you know, I touched on it earlier. It definitely increases the anxiety and I get that bipolar anger that comes up a lot easier during my hypomanic episodes. So I'll lash out a lot quicker, not just at my daughter, but at partner, friends, um, a lot less patient with things. I'm already a fairly impatient person. And then when I'm hypomanic, it's a very short, um, short threshold for that. Yeah. Yeah. Um, thank you for being so honest. I know as moms, sometimes we're, you know, scared to, to say mm -hmm. the hard things. Cause you know, we worry about, well, I worry about like, are they going to take my kids or is this going to happen? Is this going to happen? Right. But I think that just I can, I can relate to that because it feels like, you know, I want to be doing my projects or I want, it feels like everybody's in the way, like my family's yep. in the way. It's like, I am focused on this. Why would you need dinner? Like, go get yourself dinner. Like, and I feel resentful, right? That people want so much from me. And I usually always end up having, I'm much better now. It's, it, it, we can recognize it, but always having this thing with my partner where I just all of a sudden am like furious about division of labor. Like just like, I never agreed to this, <laughs> right? And I, yep. it's, just, it's so hard to explain to people that it isn't just like a, a passing thought. It's like all consuming and it's physical. Like it feels to me like physically, I need to get away from y'all. And yep, so, absolutely. Yeah. And I'm curious about, about that. Is it when you're hypomanic, so you have your a daughter one week and then one week on, one week off. Mm -hmm. So is it harder to manage when you don't have your daughter because you you have all that freedom? What's that like? Tell me about that. Yeah. So that has been something that I've had to learn to balance. So before I really recognized how my hypomania uh, manifested for me, I just kind of thought that like, oh, my weeks without my kid, I just, I have more freedom. So I'm doing more and that's normal and natural. Um, but then I wouldn't be in a manic episode sometimes and I wouldn't make as many plans. And so starting to recognize that. So in some ways, I think it's it's helpful to the hypomania because I know I have a dedicated space where I can kind of push that energy to yeah. when she's not with me. Yeah. But in other ways, that can also be really difficult because now I'm taking those weeks without her and I'm kind of putting all of the manic right. symptoms into that week as much as I can so that it's not impacting my parenting. Yeah. So I've had to really learn how to balance that and make it easier to manage um and so that I'm not using those weeks without her to like go off the rails so to speak yeah. like that's how it would feel um so and you know again thankfully I have a really amazing support system so sometimes during my weeks with kiddo it's like hey 
can somebody take her so I can go and like just have time to myself and work on this thing or focus on this thing that I want to do and kind of release some of that hypomania into something that isn't my anger and frustration and anxiety around parenting. Yeah. And then, um, do you work full time? I do. Yeah. Yeah. That must be, that must be a lot. It definitely can be. (laughs) Um, and again, I work a a fairly stressful job. I'm a, because I'm a public defender I'm working oftentimes it's not only 40 hours a week. Right. Um, which, you know, again, in some ways that, that is almost helpful for me in the way that my symptoms manifest. Um, again, with that interaction with ADHD, I can get really hyper-focused. I'm very passionate about my work. Um, so it's a little easier for me to direct my energy into that and have it feel like it's kind of taking the edge off of some of that manic episode. Yeah. It's almost like a container, right? Yeah. Yeah. I find that too. I find that since medication before medication, it's like, I couldn't, I couldn't always regulate enough to, but now I can take some of my hypomanic energy and harness it into like the podcast or like in like be creative in one thing or maybe two things instead of trying to do all the things and do not doing a good job at anything. And I think yeah, um, one of people's greatest fears about taking medication or even getting a diagnosis or getting help is that they're going to lose their creativity. But I would argue that it actually brings more of your creativity to fruition, right? Instead yeah, of absolutely over. Yeah. Yeah. And my medication that. was Honestly, look at they were kind of life changing to get on a medicine that helped me and was able to do that for me. Yeah, yeah. And I'm curious, it's I've talked to a few people before because I I wanted to look into if I had a comorbidity of ADHD as well. Mm -hmm. Um, but mine like the symptoms that overlap with ADHD usually only happen when I'm hypomanic. So I found out from my doctor and other people that I've interviewed is that to get that comorbidity, you have to experience the ADHD symptoms all the time through all episodes. And that's something you experience, right? It is. Yeah. So, you know, even when I'm depressed, I get the the hyper-focus or the complete inattentiveness. Like if something isn't um, fully captivating, I'm not, I'm not focusing on it regardless of if I'm depressed or if I'm hypomanic or if I'm stable. Um, yeah. So I'm curious about how just it doesn't have to do with parenting, but I'm so curious about. So how was it? Was it really hard for you to get through your schooling? Yes. Yeah. I mean, law school itself is already right a really difficult three years of schooling. Um, you know, I I have a lot of I have a lot of things that give me a lot of privilege in these spaces. And I want to recognize that, right? Like I am a white woman who lives in Midwestern America who came from like, I mean, lower middle-class, but a middle-class family who has really great family support. Yeah. So I came into it with a ton of privilege and support. And if I didn't have that, I don't know that I would have made it through. Um, Because, you know, I had people to help out with my daughter a lot. And so I had extra space to study and to spend time on school or to just take a minute for myself that other parents or other people who have bipolar disorder might not have had. Um, I'm also, you know, school is kind of, it it was made for me. It was made for me as a white middle-class American to do standardized testing and to be in this sort of setting. Um, So I I still had all of that in my favor, Um, but 
yeah, you know, when I was depressed, I didn't, I didn't want to go read anything. I'd show up to class, absolutely not having read a single thing, didn't do any of my work. Yeah. 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 I hear you getting my degree. I agree with you. If I didn't have the support system, I hundred percent wouldn't have my degree. Yeah. I, I just wouldn't. Yeah. I love that you acknowledge that. Thank you. Um, Joanna, I would love to hear what um, hypomania looks like, because with cyclothymia, you get hypomania, not full blown, correct? Right. Yes. Okay. Right, right, right. What does that look like? What does that look like for you? How does it feel in your body? And how does it affect um, you as a parent and also the homeschooling part? Right. Um, since I know what it is, um, it's very exciting to feel it in my, in my blood in the morning, <laughs> because I've been trying to practice different ways to harness it. Like what you guys were saying. Um, so I'm very careful not to plan things. All the people that I work with in my, the teams where I lead people, or I, I work on things, they all know that I have this tendency when yeah. I get excited to plan a lot and to plan very ambitious things and to become very charismatic and very convincing. So they know not to take that completely seriously, but to slow me down, help me uh, step by step. So I get very inspired. One of the things that kind of uh, ticks me off that I like, not ticks me, you know, you know what I mean? Like um, tells me that I'm, I'm going into a, a direction of crazy is I want to start reaching out to everybody and letting them know how much I love them. <laughs> do you guys do that too? Yes. I'm like, suddenly I want to start texting all of my friends who I've known, like from the last 20 years and I want to reach out, but then I don't because I'm like, well, what if I get depressed or what if they actually talk to me, but I'm not high yeah. anymore and I don't want to talk to them. Right? <laughs> if they respond, what are you going to do if they respond? <laughs> I know. I kind of don't want them to respond because then I have to have a conversation. What if they want to meet up? I don't have time to meet up, but the desire is there. Yeah. Yeah. I want to start clubs. I want to start so many clubs. Yeah. I want to, I want to read books and then I want everybody else to read the book yes, and I want to offer a book it. club <laughs> because I, so my, Myers-Briggs, I am a ENFJ, which is very extroverted. I am too. <laughs> Are you? Oh, you guys. Yeah. And intuitive. So I feel like I just want to like go deep into all the abstract stuff. And then F, I feel so connected to people. And then J, I just want to start planning. <laughs> so oh yeah, it's really dangerous. Wow. It's really dangerous. Yeah. So what did that look like? So now do you find that you can like complete projects or focus more, but what did that look like before? Before diagnosis? Yeah. Yeah. I had a really, really bad um, fall because I was 21. And this, this kind of shows me that I, I've had symptoms since I was a teenager is I was 21. And I tried to start a not-for-profit to help youth in leadership in the community. And I got everybody around the table and I got like people from city council and the leaders of the community center. And then I was like, half an hour before, why am I doing this? I can't do this. Who do I think I am? And I didn't do the meeting. And I wow. asked the community center worker to do the meeting for me. <laughs> and then I went into a big depression after because I was like, what is wrong with me? And I, I feel like that has been the theme of my life. What is wrong with me? Why did I think I can do this? How did I get myself into this mess? Oh, and just to loop back, Shaley, about what you yeah. 
had asked before about the um, what led me to find yeah. help is increasingly I was like, what is wrong with me? Why am I so depressed? And I plan so many things and I can't fulfill it. Mm. Um, and I was just in a really bad winter of I did I planned so many things and I just couldn't do it. And I do it to myself every Christmas. Mm. Um, and then I watched a video from Sanctuary Mental Health and they they had on a person, um, should I say his name? Yeah, because it's on. Yeah, Marco Costamo. And he had created an amazing not-for-profit. And I can imagine how he would do that <laughs> because it's so exciting. <laughs> um, called Arosha. And I, I just love that not-for-profit. And I was like, oh my goodness, he has bipolar. I want to start not-for-profits. <laughs> I'm kind of like, I could relate to him. And then the tears. And I was like, that's why, that's why I'm like this. Maybe I have that. I just cried for days. And um, yeah. So it was that wondering what's wrong with me for years and years. And yeah. then, and then realizing. Yeah. And that mm -hmm. self, self stigma, I know on the outside, you know, everyone's always like, you're so confident. You're so, yeah. but the yeah. rating on the inside. And I'm curious, I've kind of had this discovery over the last five years, like, why is it so hard for me to take constructive criticism or criticism like at all? And I think like I was trying to explain to my husband, like, I already think all these terrible things about myself. So when people tell me, even though they should be able to, um, I it's like confirming my worst thoughts about myself. Right. That's so real. Right. Do you feel that? And I was thinking mm -hmm. about it and I was thinking about it. My therapist was like, well, it's like, um, you know, some folks walk around. It's like our, our skin is already sunburned, right? Mm -hmm. And we walk around and the, you know, the people and the thoughts and that's the sun. And so we're living in this sensitive skin already. And yeah, I really, really struggle with, especially like I pretend I can take it okay <laughs> with not my family. And then I go home and cry and want to clean mm -hmm. everything. Yes. And like pretty much move away and change my name. Yes. Um, but uh, I especially, you know, struggling for a long time, my husband felt like silenced because it wasn't worth it to him to, you know, to, it wasn't fair to him that he couldn't express it without me totally falling apart. Right. And so, yes, thank goodness for medication and things like that. But that's been a lot to work through. And still like, I, any successes and tell me for the same that I actually do have all like if my team because I used to do events and such if my team gets together or we do you know when you do after where you you know what could we have done better what's good for the first week after a big project or something I can't talk about what we could do better because it it I fixate on it and it just hurts too much I need to like cocoon myself in the goodness for a while me too my yeah. team would know that. And then after I could be like, yeah, reasonable. But yeah, do you walk around with sunburns? Absolutely. <laughs> yeah. Well, and that must be hard for you, Molly, if you ever lose a case. Like what do, does that ever put you into an episode or what kind of things do you do to, you know, keep yourself managing when something like that happens? Uh, so I am fairly new in the role. So I went to law school later in life. Um, I was 28 when I started. Um, so I've only been doing public defense for about five months. Oh, okay. um, so very new. Um, it's going great. I love it. It's it honestly, it is like exactly what I want to do, but 
I haven't had any major losses, though I will say I have had some difficult clients already. And, you know, I actually just had one this week and I, you know, I should have handled it in a slightly different way. I should have set my boundary a little stronger with him. Um, but he said some things to me that were like really hurtful and really bad. And I got off the phone with him and I did just cry. I mean, I, I spent almost 10 minutes just in tears. Um, my anxiety got really high. It was like almost hyperventilating. So it definitely does impact me, especially when it's from my clients. I think more than from the court, more than from prosecutors, um, hearing it from my clients is, it's super hard. And, you know, one of the things I do is my coworkers also, you know, they experience it in a different way because they don't have bipolar disorder. Um, but it's really nice to be able to go to them and just like vent a whole bunch. And, you know, some of that is, it's this is why that client is wrong and bad and what's yeah. wrong with them instead of what's wrong with me and yeah. some of that is here's the ways that you actually did do that really well and here's what you can do next time that might help protect you more yeah. um and so it's you know it's part of it is just having a good support system and being in an environment that is supportive and helps to cocoon you from it a little bit um and then also, again, just being able to acknowledge it and knowing that, like, sometimes you're going to mess up. Sometimes it's going to go bad. Sometimes people aren't going to like you. Yeah. And that sucks. But your next client's going to be great. <laughs> yeah. 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 Well, that's that's really, really interesting. I'm I'm excited. I'm excited to hear more about how it goes. Um, I'm curious, too. I was wondering if either of you could think of um, a parenting situation or, or parenting situations or things that have happened that has triggered you in mm. the past. And maybe if you could, if you'd be willing to share maybe how it might've been handled badly and, and in the past, now, whenever, and then maybe if you have how you would have handled it differently or a situation where you have. So, um, I'm realizing how I have like five parter questions. I need to work on that. <laughs> I'm not going to think about it all night tonight. Uh, <laughs> yeah. So I'm just wondering, can you tell me like, um, just we've been talking a lot about symptoms and things, but I'd love to hear of like an actual, a story of something that happened in your life um, with parenting or being triggered. And maybe if you handled it badly or how you handle something well. Joanna, do you have any of those stories you could share with us? Um, yeah, it's not a specific time, but it's like a series of times. Mm -hmm. um, so when I get excited, um, I don't like it when things get in the way or when thing people do things that I don't want them to do because I know what's best for them. And so I know how they should get there. And mm -hmm. if they don't listen to me, then I get really mad like blood, bloody fire in my veins. Yeah, it hurts. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So I have a son who really likes video games and he doesn't always tell the truth about when he gets off. He sometimes stays on too long. There's all these miscommunications about things and I just go into a rage. So sometimes I I, I tell my husband to step in because I just, I can't. I can't, nothing, nothing good will come out of this. But the few times that I have, um, I will come in and control and punish. And I don't like, I don't like that. And 
I don't think that's philosophically the, the way that I want to parent. I'm trying to turn that around. Yeah. Um, but that's, that's kind of where it comes out to me. And I, I, I don't want to do that anymore. So when this happens, what, what would you, you know, cause these things are going to happen and they do happen. What do you do to kind of rectify or what does that look like after you've gone away, you feel yeah. the shame, you, you, your body has settled down, right? My yeah. the worst when once I've settled down or whatever, and I realize that I didn't actually care that much about the thing. And then it's like, how could I have cared that much? But I'm wondering, um, what would that look like in your life? Like what, um, after you've gone away, your husband's dealt with it or whatever, how do you go back to your child? And what, what, what would that look like? What kinds of things would you say or do? Mm. Yeah. Um, I need to get better at apologizing. I know that's something that you talk a lot about in your podcast and I love listening to it every time you say it, because I'm like, yes, I need to, I need to know how and when, um, so I'm not great. I think I've done it twice. Yeah. Maybe. Yeah. But you have. Um, but you yeah, have. I have. I have. And so what I do when I go back to them is I really, I really just emphasize how much I love them and how much I want the best for them. And, and I try to work with them on what, you know, what was really happening for them. So I help, I want them to be heard. I want them to be acknowledged. I don't want them to feel controlled. Mm -hmm. Um. And I actually want to work with them. And so usually at that point, I can, they, they start to talk to me and I find out what their goals really are and what they really want to work on. And then we can move forward. Yeah. Yeah. So we've and had a couple you, good talks. Oh, that's wonderful. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I, it's a tricky thing, the apologizing, because I a hundred percent believe in it and I do it, but I have one child that's um, very much like me, <laughs> which is the hardest to parent. And um, it's, we, I want to get to the point where, you know, she'll see a little bit of it or we can talk it through or I can see her point of view. But sometimes because she's um, neurodiverse and um, atypical and has some diagnoses of her own, she rarely can ever see my side. So it's this ongoing thing. So even though I do apologize, it's harder to apologize to her because then it's just in her mind. She's like, oh, yeah, I was right. You're wrong. So I really struggle with that. And I found, I read this, I think it was my therapist or something. I read the read this or she told me to read something about how over-explaining is a trauma response. And that's what I, I, in my childhood and in my family structure, I felt so misunderstood. I was the only girl. I was different. Nobody knew what was going on with me. I just thought that's, you know, that was regular teenage angst. Um, but I just find my biggest thing is over explaining to, to my kids. So I'm working on apologizing and just being okay. If it's just the apology and that she doesn't ever, you know, understand completely why, right? Cause I want her, I want her to see why. And, and it's so hard. Cause I don't know. I don't know um, if she will. So, I find that I'm, it's much easier to apologize to my other daughter who is not like me and she's much more like my husband. Mm -hmm. So we can communicate because I pictured, I had to let go of what I thought I was going to be like as a parent. Like I thought, because I, I think I'm a pretty good teacher. I thought I'd be able to be like that with my own kids, but then I have a spicy daughter and <laughs> it doesn't work. 
right? And then the switching. That's so interesting. Mm, Yeah. That's hard, yeah. Yeah. Thanks for sharing that. But yeah, the apologizing, I think it's so important because my parents didn't apologize, right? And so you internalize, and I never want my kids to think it's all them, you know? Mm -hmm. And Yeah. so, yeah, I'm, but I am working on apologizing and not over explaining, right? Because then doing the apologizing and then, The lecture. Uh, yeah, then the lecture kind of takes away the apology, right? Yeah. 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 Molly, do you have any um, instances or uh, times where where you've uh, parented in a way that may not reflect how you want to parent? Yeah. Yeah. Um, kind of like Joanna said, like it's hard to pick like a specific Sure. moment or example, but You know, I've already touched on it a couple of times that that anger that can come up. And so for me, it's a lot of times um, when I'm manic because I've got all of these plans and and we got to get through these plans and I need you to like be on my timeline and I need her to like do what I need her to do so we can get through all of these things that I have this grandiose thought about doing. Um And then that won't happen. Or, you know, again, having a neurodiverse kid, it's hard for her to switch gears sometimes, or she has a, a like a sensory thing that she's working through now or whatever it is. And that will kind of like trigger me and flare up that anger. And I grew up in a household where yelling was the way that you dealt with that. And that is, I try really hard not to, um, but in those moments I will yell and she'll get really upset. Um, and so rightfully so right um and sometimes that that yelling can be really like can be really bad um and I will sometimes say things to her you know I don't like cuss at her or anything like that but I might say things that you know I'm intentionally making her feel guilty about the way that she's interrupting my plans <laughs> rather than you know parenting in a way that helps her work through what she's going through um and so like both of you apologies are really important to me I also did not receive a lot of apologies growing up. And so, but I also do the over explaining thing, um, which is really hard because I want her to understand that it's not about her. It was about what's going on in me and why I wasn't handling it well. Um, so I've tried really hard to stick to kind of a format of apology, right? You acknowledge what you did, you apologize for it. You might give like an underlying reason why that was your reaction, but then you tell them what you're going to do better next time. Wow. Yes. And that is something that I've learned through a couple of different types of therapy and things. And it's not always easy to do, um, especially because that last piece that how am I going to do better? You know, I can say all I want. Okay, next time I'm going to step away. But if I don't do it, then at what point do those apologies start losing some of that meaning and, and helpfulness. Um, but I do still always apologize. I always let her know, look, that, that wasn't about you. That was about mom. Sorry, my cat. It's, Oh, I love your cat. um, uh, so yeah, I try really hard to like follow up with it. And sometimes that apology doesn't happen for a little while. I need to take time and calm down and, um, You know, I actually have a really good example. Just yesterday, we were supposed to be walking out the door. She had already decided she was having school lunch. Um, and then as we are supposed to walk out the door, she goes, actually, mom, I want to bring lunch from home. Oh, no. And I lost it. Like, I was so upset. And I stomp into the kitchen and I start making her lunch, trying to get her to come in and help me. But she's upset now because... 
I reacted angrily. <laughs> um, and so that just like it, and it escalated and escalated because my frustration and anger will ramp up hers, especially again with the interaction of our neurodiverse um, brains. So, um, and then I had to take a, I had to take some time. I, I let her go to her room. I finished making her lunch. And then I went and I apologized and I got us out the door. Um, but, you know, so it's, it, it can be little things like that. It's, you yeah. know, it's hardly ever a big thing. Yeah. Yeah. That is so true. Uh, that is, it's sometimes it is just like the little things that'll set you off. I find it hard to where I just want to circle back, right? Like you said, the doing the better and then leaving it. I just always want to circle back. And I see like their eyes are glazed over. It's doing, it's doing nothing. And sometimes I feel like in my apologies, less, less is, is more right. Yeah. And I think kids know, I love that you brought up that sometimes the apology doesn't come right away because kids know, kids know when it's insincere. Right. Yeah. And I find even as a, teacher and even as a parent, just the forcing the kids to apologize, it 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 just isn't teaching them, isn't, you know, it isn't, they're not actually feeling it. Um, right. And so I don't, I don't force my kids to apologize. I say, when you're ready, I suggest, because you care about this relationship with your sister, right. blah, 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 blah. Because I have one child that doesn't, doesn't, uh, like, doesn't apologize. Right. Ever. And I know she's sorry, but I know she's also like me. She doesn't want to admit it because I know inside she's sorry. Do you know what I mean? And a lot of yeah. people say, well, that's amazing because you totally understand her because you have this <laughs> and you're, you know, she has some similar things or whatever. And I'm like, uh, yes and no. Right. Like trying to get your kids to regulate when you struggle regulating is is brutal. Right. I remember. Yeah. When I get depressed or get sad or think the world is garbage and I'm garbage and all of that, I think like, how can I parent when they say your kids can borrow off your calm nervous system? And I'm right. like, they better not be borrowing off my nervous system. They're ruined. Right. I think <laughs> that. And I think one of my fears is passing on my pessimism. Right. Because I, I, I don't keep a lot in my head. So I feel like one, I pass on my anxiety and pessimism, right? And I'm really noticed in my one daughter, her brain works similarly. We can have like an amazing day, but one thing goes wrong and that's all she'll recall about yep. that day. Like we could be in Disneyland, we could be this and she'll like lose something and that's all, I lost this. And I'm like, and I wanna be like, I paid for Disneyland, tell me something good, <laughs> right? Like, and I'm really struggling with the teenage years right now with the, like, not that I expect them to be super grateful or even say it, but when they're so ungrateful, I end up saying the things that are so like stupid, like just like, you know, like you don't even appreciate. And then I start to list like, oh, no, we're paying for your insurance. We're paying. Yeah. Yeah. I go back and I'm just like, like when I was 18, I wasn't thinking about, you know, like what my parents were giving. Of course, if they were doing it, I, I was just going to take it. I wasn't thinking. Yeah. Right. So that's one thing I'm struggling with the most right now. Launching young adults is really hard. I find that I'm um, not, not meaning to, but becoming more controlling because I have less because there's so much more independence. And I, I'm 
holding on tight and I'm just so afraid that, you know, that they're going to not talk to me in the future. Just And another Yeah. thing I'm afraid that I passed on is just, I care so much what people think. And I, you know, sometimes to me, like, I'll be like, I hate this stupid sweatpants thing. Like, why is sweatpants in? I'm just like, sweatpants should be worn at home. So I can't help
I also try really hard to work out um, each day or at least five days a week. Um, I usually just call it intentional movement, though, because I don't need um, the pressure to do like an intent, like a whole workout or something. Because um, for me, that brain, hasn't worked right? in the past. Yeah. 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 My brain. <laughs> um, so that's really helpful because it also, like Joanna said, it creates a really good baseline. It helps to release some of that energy when I'm depressed. It helps to increase some of those good hormones um, and just get my body feeling like more regulated. Um, another thing is, I feel like I try really hard to, to give myself pockets of time. So once, once my daughter's in bed, I have specific things that I do, right? I'm going to like, I'm going to make my tea. I'm going to read my book. I'm going to write in my journal and then I'm going to bed. <laughs> um, and so that consistency, uh, that consistency makes a really big difference in my ability to, to having patience and showing up for my kid. Um, and it ends my day in a way that feels good to me, even if the rest of the day was crap. Right. Right. Yeah. Yep. I have a similar uh, bedtime routine as, as yeah. well. Like even if the dishes aren't done, the laundry, like even if nothing is done, yep. I will dive into my bed at the time that I need to. Yeah. Oh, that's so good. That's my biggest struggle. The bed, the going to sleep, especially now that uh, I used to be able to like have that time when the kids were asleep. Right. But my kids are up later than me sometimes. And so, yeah. It's a, it's a really hard one, the, the, the sleeping, but it makes such a difference. I feel like I'm a different human. And I was talking to Julie Fast, who's written all the, the books on bipolar disorder. And she said that they're almost um, like going to classify it almost as a sleep and energy disorder. And I was like, that makes a lot of sense. A lot yeah. Of I kind of hate how much sleep impacts it because yeah. it's it's especially when I'm manic it's hard to be really consistent and I want to go out or like I if you have weekend plans it can really throw you off and yeah. so yeah yeah and I have uh FOMO so oh so I bad like it when people are up later than me because what if like the best thing happens right <laughs> obviously that's what happens after I go to bed at 10 p.m yeah yeah and it's the worst like that I get my best ideas at 10 like my natural schedule, like I could still get the sleep in, but my natural schedule isn't conducive to having kids or like functioning in a like real job. Yeah. I'll, I'll wake up at one thirty or three and just be like, <laughs> and just make lists and lists and lists of things in the middle of the night. It's, it's so hard. It's kind of funny. I went to my husband the other day. I actually made him really nervous. I didn't mean to stress him out so much, but I was like, I totally made a bad choice last night. He was like, oh, she remortgaged the house. Or did it. I was like, no, like when I woke up at 1.30, I went and I watched this Instagram. I just went on this one Instagram account with this guy that gives food recipes. I don't even like to cook, okay? And I was on there for an hour. So I, my bad choice was that I went on my phone in the middle of the night, but note to self, I'm not going to go up to my husband anymore and be like, I made bad choice. <laughs> well, I would love just before we go, if um, I'm just feeling really strongly connected with our listeners and someone that's struggling right now, um, you know, thinking that they're a good parent or maybe in the guilt or maybe in the shame. And I'm wondering 
if we, if each of you could give just a, a word of, of encouragement to our listeners that are feeling like they're, they're failing or, um, yeah, just having, having a time where they don't think that, uh, they're good enough for their family or, um, just in a, in a tough place. I would just love to, to end the podcast with a, with a word of encouragement and, um, Whoever's ready to go first can go first. I don't want to put you on the spot if you're not ready. I, I can go first. The word that comes to mind is exciting roller coaster adventure. Mm-hmm. And we get to do that as a family. So I, you know, I think with like you two, there's a lot of mental health talk that happens and there's so much dialogue. So when you have these swings, it gives you an opportunity, so many opportunities to connect with your kids. And I think that's what I, it's one of the things I love about bipolar. There's like a lot of things that I I, I actually like about it. Um, but one of those is that you get to have those connections and you get to, you know, really be vulnerable with your kids because you have to be right. And, and when I get better at the apologies, and I'm sure that will be a really, a really amazing, I'll just take it up to the next notch. Yeah. yeah. I love that. And you're right. I think that perhaps if I didn't have a mood disorder, I wouldn't be able to help my kids connect with their inner, inner yeah. life a lot more. That's yeah. beautiful. Thank you. Molly, do you have a word of encouragement? Yeah. Um, you know, this might not be helpful for everybody, but one of the things that I tell myself is that I'm going to mess them up somehow. Yeah. <laughs> um, you know, whether or not I had bipolar disorder, we don't parent perfectly. Nobody parents perfectly. And our bipolar disorder does not does not make us any worse than somebody who doesn't have it. And we're all just out here doing our best and our kids are lucky to have us and we can, we can be good for them. Yeah. Yeah. I love that. I love that. I sometimes tell my kids like, just so you know, I'm doing the best I can with what I have. And I know Mm -hmm. I've said one thing that really got through to my one daughter is I'm like, you know, this is my first time doing this, right? Mm-hmm. <laughs> like, you know, like you, you just like I came up with better things from my family, they were doing the best they could with what they have. So yeah, I love that. I've learned so much from you both today. And so I just want to thank you so, so much for being here and being vulnerable. And I'm just, it, excites me and comforts me that there are mamas out there in the world like you both and um yeah i hope that we can stay in touch if anybody has any questions or anything feel free to send it to me and i will have um my new bipolar bestie mamas answer for you and um yeah so thank you both so much yeah thank you for having us yeah it's been really it's been really great I just wanted to invite everybody um, to join subscriptions on Instagram because it is a space where we're going to share our next conversation. We're actually going to talk about the best way that people can support us, uh, family members and loved ones and communities can support us in our parenting journey. And I think that we will have some really valuable things to say, and that will be exclusive for the subscribers so we can go deeper. So After you're done listening to this, sign up so that you get to hear um, the next part of us going deeper. So thank you for listening. This is Bipolar.
Thanks again for tuning in. You can find video versions of This Is Bipolar on our YouTube channel. We also have all our previous and soon-to-be future episodes of the podcast on Apple, Podbean, Spotify, and Google Play. We spend most of our time on Instagram at this.is.bipolar. There is a vibrant community there where we have conversations and post different ideas and different strategies, and we'd just love for you to join us there. It is so helpful if you enjoy our work or think it would be helpful to someone if you could like and share and save and follow us in all or any of those spaces. If you're a listener for the podcast, if you could leave a review, we would be forever grateful. Again, thank you for being here with us. Let's get the word out. Let's share lived experiences so that we can change the ideas that people have about bipolar and help those of us that live with it feel less alone. This is bipolar.